0: Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host,
1: Pete Mekaitis.
0: Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 198 with Mark Aramley. Mark is talking about what it takes to get big ideas and turn those big ideas into big results. So you'll learn one, the best time to work on your big ideas, two, the two pizza rule for great collaborations, and three, a key strategy for convincing executives to buy in. So if you'd like to check out the show notes or the transcripts or the links to items referenced, you can find those over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep198. And while you're at at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some of our useful resources. One I'll point you to right here is simply the magnifying glass right there in the navigation bar. If you click that, you can type any search term that you would like some insight on. Or if you remember you heard a guest say some key words, but you don't quite remember the whole idea, well, that's the benefit of having every episode transcribed. So you can search those episodes that way, get right what you need. And if you can't find what you need, well please send me an email and we'll see what needs to be added, what kind of guests we got to bring on. That's Pete at at job.com. So now here's Mark's story. Mark Arameli is the inventor and principal engineer for the patent-pending Bedjet CCS. Mark's first engineering role was at United Technologies and was builder of the spacesuit for NASA. His engineering responsibilities included the spacesuit primary life support system, specifically elements related to heating, cooling, and climactic comfort of the interior spacesuit environment for the astronauts. Since then, Bedjet has been a smash success. You'll get to hear some of that story. So here is Mark. One note though, I'll say is you'll hear it. My apologies. I failed to click on the correct microphone for the first portion of the interview. Rookie mistake. I guess I just assumed Skype would auto pick it up because it often does. But you'll hear the difference between a low-grade microphone and a high-grade microphone, and hopefully that will create gratitude that we make such effort to make our production solid instead of, you know, ho-hum, which you'll hear for the first couple of minutes. So apologies for that, but it should happen almost never again. So now, here's Mark. Mark, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure, Pete. Thanks so
1: much for having me.
0: Well, you know, it's a lot of fun. I am a big fan of the TV show Shark Tank, and you were actually on it. I just watched your piece in preparation for this conversation, and it was some thrilling TV drama. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience there?
1: Sure. Well, first, we're incredibly grateful and thankful we got to participate in the show. The producers were amazing. Everybody at the studio was amazing, but for anyone who's watched the show, yeah, we got beat up as bad as you <laughs> can get. They, they hated me. They hated my product. You know, They even managed uh, to insult my mother. The editors cut that out. Uh, it made the sharks look so bad. Uh, but you know, it was as bad as a Shark Tank episode could go. And you know, there was definitely a lot of professional lessons and learnings um, that came out of that. Um, it was really an unexpected outcome. Uh, In going into Shark Tank, the producers make sure you're incredibly well-prepared. You go through weeks, months actually, of interviews and honing your pitch and preparing for all sorts of questions, having an answer to every question. And the funniest, I think most ironic part, Pete, of how that episode turned out, I prepared for every possible question in my business, every possible outcome, every scenario, the one thing I didn't prepare for was that they would instantly hate my product and instantly hate me. Yeah, and so you know that that really was uh, quite an experience, but uh, definitely net positive for for my company and uh, what we were trying to do.
0: Right. Well, you know, it's so intriguing because you know I'd love to. We'll definitely link to that clip in the show notes here. But I remember at the time, you know, you were making a request based on a valuation of two and a half million dollars. And they weren't believing that consumers would take your price point for your product, the Bedjet, at 500 bucks. But tell us, you know, today, what's your valuation look like and what's your price
1: point look like? So, you know, the, the product is the Bedjet. And, you know, to, to, to let the listeners know, what, what is it? It's the world's first uh, ultra fast cooling and heating system made for a bed. So if you've ever woken up too hot, ever woken up too cold, fought over the thermostat with your spouse or your partner, it just gives you instant on-demand you know, warming, cooling, everything in between. You can have half the bed warm, the other half um, crisply cooled. Um, It's it's a neat little product, and it's helped a lot of people sleep. When we showed up at Shark Tank, we weren't in production. We had prototypes. We had been to some trade shows. We didn't have any revenue. Um, And I believe after that Shark Tank fail – we are we have become the top 5 most successful shark tank fails in the history of the show oh wow so uh you know we've gotten the last laugh on that uh which was was really um yeah i i made that a personal fire under me to prove them wrong uh but we've been in a half years uh we've become number 1 in our product segment we've been beating up billion dollar companies who have You know, bigger budgets and and more marketing budgets in our particular category, you know, we've become the number one and uh, we're hiring, we're growing, we tripled sales from year one to year two, we're doubling again this year. Uh, The valuation, I I don't bother with that anymore. We don't have investors, we're not looking for investors right now. Um, But certainly, if the Sharks had invested at that time, at at a two and a half million dollar valuation, I mean they would have easily made five to six times their uh, their investment in just two years.
0: Cool. Well, that is the last laugh. Congratulations. That's cool. Uh, cool. And thank you for sending me a bed jet. That was really classy. Much appreciated. I enjoyed it. It was pretty nifty. How it's well put together, sharply designed, and and really does add a bit of extra cool, which is awesome because my wife she wants things hotter (laughs) and I want them colder. So uh, it's been a helpful addition.
1: So thanks for that. You know, that can actually lead to sleep divorce uh, with some couples. I mean, temperature is huge in bed and 55% of couples don't agree on the temperature. You know, you have folks sneaking off the thermostat in the middle of the night, you know, raising the the AC, lowering the AC. And I'll tell you, Bedjet has saved some marriages.
0: Very cool, very cool. So I want to hear a little bit what was sort of your aha moment for how you came up with the idea of the bed jet? And rather than going deep on your entrepreneurial journey, I want to hear more about, you know, the strategies, the principles, the tips, the tools, the tactics for you and your team to have pulled this off where you've generated innovative ideas. You've made them work on a tiny budget. I'd love to dig into some of the how of how you're running your brain there. So to orient us, could you take us back to maybe that eureka moment? Like this is what needs to exist in a bed. Sure.
1: <laughs> so- Everybody I know has had an idea for an invention. Pete, I'm sure you haven't, have had an idea for an invention. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of us file that away in the back of our head and say, one of these days, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this. I'm going to create this. And the reality is nobody ever does. Okay. And three years later, five years later, you see this great idea you had up on a shelf at the store or on TV, and you're like, my God, that was my idea. I had that idea first. And somebody else is making a million bucks off it. So, you know, with Bedjet, I had the idea of this thing going back to like 2001. You know, like 16 years ago, uh, you know, I, I have a background in engineering and technology. And you know, I used to be an engineer uh, working on the spacesuit program for NASA. And I did some of the cooling and the the heating stuff in the suit. So, you know, my moment... Um, was when I lived in this apartment in California that didn't have any AC and uh, the heating system wasn't working and I stuck in an electric fan heater, you know, under the sheets in the bed um, just on a whim and went to go brush my teeth. I forgot about it. I came back out uh, 20 minutes later. I'm lucky I didn't burn the whole place down. But um, I got into bed and I was like, wow, this feels really good. And there's no electric blanket it could make a bed feel that good that fast. So I filed it away in my head as, you know, it would be really great if your bed had a thermal management system, right? And we're going back to 2001. I didn't do anything with it for 14 years, 12 years, between uh, about 13 years. And, you know, the aha moment came when I actually had a family member um, stuck in bed for a couple of weeks, and my mother. And she lives in a 100-year-old house and it's drafty. And, you know, we tried electric blankets and space heaters and, and mattress pads. Everything was too hot and too cold, too many wires in the bed. And I was like, wait a second. I have made astronauts perfectly comfortable in space, the most hostile environment possible. And yet here's so many of us can't be comfortable in our own beds. So, you know, that, that moment came in 2013, um, which is when I actually started working on the invention. But, but really, if there's any takeaway from this, Pete, it's if you have that great idea for an invention, don't wait, mm-hmm. don't hold on to it. Somebody else is going to have that idea too. And the longer you wait, the, the more opportunity for it to be swept away and scooped up and commercialized by somebody else. So I kick myself for waiting that long. Uh, I needed a trigger event, uh, to, to, um, really get me to, to build it and create it. But, you know, you hear the same story from everyone, man, I had this idea and I just didn't do anything with it. And somebody made a million bucks. Don't sit by. If it's a great idea, it's worth working on now and not later. Oh,
0: oh, Mark, thank you for that. And I will second that. It was right around 2007. I was a consultant traveling a lot. And my roommate, Stephen, was doing forensic accounting, also traveling a lot. And we're like, you know what? It's ridiculous how our bedrooms are just empty for so long. It'd be cool if we could collect money by renting them out on sort of like an ad hoc basis with like an online platform. (laughs) You know, and I don't know exactly when Airbnb got off the ground, but I thought, all shucks, that could have been us.
1: Right, right. Whoops. It (laughs) it happens to everybody.
0: (laughs) Oh man. Okay. So that's one great takeaway right there is if you have a good idea, you know, run with it because someone else is going to. And I think that could apply in sort of like the broad entrepreneurial space of building your own thing, as well as just even inside your organization. You have an idea for how something can be done better. Someone else is probably has it too. And so you're saying run with it rather than waiting for years and years until it disappears or someone else does it. And you're like, oh, shucks, I could have been looking like a rock star here.
1: There's no upside to biding your time. With a great idea, mm-hmm. whether it's your coworkers or people in different departments at your company, or your company's competition, uh, you know. The, and, and there's here, here's an interesting case study, right? I come up with the bed jet, okay, instant cool, instant heat. You're going to love it. You're going to sleep great. And I hire the patent attorney to work with me to start patenting some of my concepts, thinking, "Hey, I'm the first guy." to make this thing. Nobody's ever made anything like this before. You know, there's some things out there, but nothing that was fast and using air and you could put on any bed and just all the whole combination. And as we started looking at the patents, we found, wait a second, people have had this idea going in patents going back to 1942. No kidding. 1942. And yet fast forward to 2013, no product ever existed on the market. Hmm. So, you know, the takeaway from that is, Plenty of people have the idea, right? Plenty of people have ideas on their own actually aren't worth very much. The value comes from taking that idea and transitioning it, in my case, to a warehouse full of product that works and you can actually sell. And that's where the rewards come. Um, Coming up with great ideas is great, but if you don't do something with them and execute them, they aren't worth a dime.
0: Okay. Well, that's a nice warning there. Fantastic. So now what would you say if someone has a great idea would be sort of like the very next steps. If we do want to kind of put our butts into gear and take some action with it and not shelve it for a decade plus, what would you say would be some of the very next steps?
1: So the thing about great ideas They may not actually be great, Mm. right? We all get struck with the moment like, man, it would be great if our organization just did this. Or it would be powerful for my career or business if I did that. It's very easy to get passionately swept up. Um, And and there's a feeling that overcomes, you know, I, I think entrepreneurs know this better than anyone, but but even regular rank and file professionals, when you come up with this really brilliant idea, you feel it's great, you're passionate about it, um, it's easy to convince yourself the idea deserves to exist and is the right thing um, just because of your own personal feeling and your own judgment. And what I've learned is um, the only opinion that matters on an idea, whether it's a product or a service or an initiative at work. The only opinion that really—it's not yours. Um, it's not you know wealthy billionaires like the sharks. Their opinions, in the end, actually didn't matter for me. It's the opinions of people who are going to be your customers and sh- take money out of their wallet to buy your service or buy your product or uh, buy into your initiative. Whatever it is, it's it's your customer and people. In professional settings and corporate settings, you have internal customers, right? Um, It's the opinion of the person on the other side who gives up something of value to take your product, service, or idea, or initiative. Those are the only opinions that matter. So more important than anything else is getting that validation from those people before you get too invested and too committed. Because... Um, it's easy to be passionate and let that passion cloud the data, right? Mm-hmm. The voice of the market or the voice of, uh, of, of the people who matter in the end. Yeah. Okay. That's so
0: good. And so now I'm thinking when it comes to the customer, I mean, in some ways, You know, you have an internal customer like you got to convince the VP of product or something or finance or somebody to say yes to fund, to invest corporate resources into a move, for example. But then you've also are hoping that that move will delight, you know, paying customers or clients on the other side. So that's intriguing in a way. You could have multiple sets of customers or stakeholders who need to be brought on board and both of their opinions would matter. Do you have an opinion on who to start the validation with first
1: right so let's take example you're going to your department vp and you're going to pitch a new product or service for your company and you have this great idea you think it's going to make you know millions of dollars for your company it's going to rocket your career you're excited never go to that decision maker with just the raw idea okay get that validation you know, decision makers, people in positions of authority, vice president level folks, they've learned not to depend just on individual opinion, even if it's their own trusted employee. So, um, if it were me going to, you know, the the vice president of, of whatever, with this amazing new idea, I think the company should, we need to do this. Get the validation first from customers. On outside of the company, and there's many, many ways to do that. In our case, you know, with the bed jet, I didn't double down and invest my life savings and mortgage my house, which I, I did all of those things until I validated the market demand on a Kickstarter. Right? Kickstarter is a wonderful place to uh, hang a product, a new product out, and uh, people can pre-order it and they help fund your uh, your idea, but. If those people aren't willing to shell money out of their wallet for your product, well, you've got a pretty, pretty strong feedback that maybe it's not that great an idea. So when you're going to pitch something to somebody at your company, you've got to approach them with more than just an idea. You've got to present some type of data you've collected, whether it's a market survey, something that validates the opinion other than, hey, intuitively it sounds pretty good, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. I like that. And so Kickstarter, that's one approach. What are some of your other favorite validation approaches?
1: So I'm in the product business. Uh, and I think, you know, market validation or validation voice of the customer, depending on whether you're a service business or product business. Um, for me, if it's a product, uh, you launch pre-sales, uh, you know, Kickstarter is a great way to do that. Uh, Indiegogo, uh, you know, maybe a a distant second, um, pre-orders through your own companies uh, sales organizations, you know, um, socializing it through customers, you know, through your, through your different sales channels. Uh, you just, you, you never let yourself get too far without finding that voice of the customer in trying to pitch your idea internally.
0: Oh, I like that. And I did the same thing, you know, with this very podcast, I thought I'm into this stuff, but would the listener care? And because maybe it's like, Hey, you know, I spent enough time thinking about work at work i don 't want to do my leisure, travel workout, cleaning time, also thinking about work related topics. but I did I use some really cool tools from um, what was called voice polls and other Google consumer surveys another uh, the survey monkey custom audience right and so with that one in particular i could say i want these exact kinds of people like in these kinds of cities making these kinds of incomes and these kinds of ages and you know depending on what sample i looked at four to 14 ish percent of folks said they were 10 of 10 extremely interested in listening to such a podcast and i thought well four percent is enough, <laughs> you know, 4% of workers. That's a lot of millions. Yeah, that's that's a that'll lot do it. <laughs> yeah. We haven't reached full uh, saturation there yet of that 4%, but we're growing and it's exciting and it's organically. Real people are recommending it to real other people and seeing growth. So thank you listeners who are doing that. And it's been maybe the one business initiative I've had that went better than I hoped, planned, expected. <laughs> you know, going into it, and it's the one business initiative that I did the most validation to up front.
1: I don't think your success there was an accident. Uh, it, there's a huge correlation between planning and validating for project and success. Uh, and I, I think it, it served you well. It's it served us well, and a lot of those services you mentioned. Uh, SurveyMonkey, Google Service uh, uh, surveys—they're they, reasonable. You, know, right. you don't have to spend a lot of money to gain a huge amount of upfront knowledge from a wide demographic and from the right demographic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's
0: fantastic. And then when you chat with some real people in in person and and get sort of like the behind the behind their thinking behind the responses, it gets even more insightful. So awesome. So validation is a key point there. Can you share with us a little bit when it comes to, you know, thinking and validating in groups and and team kind of environments? How does the game change a little bit when it's not just you and your SurveyMonkey custom audiences and your ideas, but you're working in a collaborative environment?
1: Right. So there is definitely a correlation between the size of your collaborative environment and the amount of group smartness or group dumbness that sets in. Uh, you know our company, our little tiny startup company, right, shoestring budget, uh, we created a product and brought a product to market that's running circles around the best the billion dollar mattress companies can do. Um, and the way we did that was with very small and compact teams. Um, the way we were able to get a product to market that was probably a quarter of the budget those guys would spend, and a quarter of the time they would spend was because we had a small number of very brilliant people. Versus, you know, you walk into the the engineering and marketing group of a, of a Tempur Pedic or a Sleep Number or any of these billion dollar sleep companies. And there's literally dozens of people that these new technologies or new products or new innovations have to weave their way through. And everybody's got to touch it and everybody's got to prove it. And when you're in a collaborative environment with a new idea, you know, the, the best advice I can give, don't let that environment get too big. You don't want, uh, 20 people or 15 people working on your project. Projects succeed more often when you have um, a small number of very brilliant people who really get it and really get what you're working on and are intimately involved with it than, you know, 25 people or 20 people who are spending 2% of their time each and, you know, trying to make all of them happy, uh, you, you wind up with something completely discombobulated. I see it all the time. I've seen it in every business I've been in when you have billion-dollar or, or you know, well-funded corporate companies making incredibly bad products or bad decisions. Uh, it, those almost always come out of a large group decision with too many people involved. Um, and I can't remember the name of the, the famous corporate titan um, who said, the, the it's one of the tech titans, uh, the right number of people in any meeting is... You know, no, no more people than you can feed with two pizzas.
0: Okay. Right.
1: <laughs> and if you got to get three pizzas, there's too many people at the table on the project. That's great.
0: Thank you. Okay. Well, so now, you know, talking about people and satisfying them all. Yeah. I'd love to get your input on when it comes to ego, you know, in terms of people... Fighting for their idea or poo-pooing others' ideas and this notion of that their value or their worthwhile miss, you know, stems from their being right or their ideas winning out. Do you have any pro tips for navigating those waters?
1: Absolutely. You know, there's a way we think the world should work and then there's the way the world actually works. And the way the world actually works is whether it's entrepreneurship, um, product invention, or uh, internal corporate politics and egos, it's all the same. The best idea doesn't always win. The best promoted idea usually wins. And so, um, you know, you you see it time and time again, you know, uh, when it comes to products, you'll have a product that's the better technology, and yet some other product becomes the market leader. It's because it was promoted better. It was sold better. It was packaged better. Um, And the same goes to ideas at work. Um, You may have the most amazing new initiative idea in your workplace. Um, And somebody may have a crappy idea. And the the guy or girl who has the crappy idea may be the one picked for the limited resources for what everybody's going to work on for the next six months. The ideas themselves carry a lot of weight. But more weight is carried on the promotion of those ideas, how you package them, how you make them work, how you pitch them. Can't stress that enough.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So any pro tips on the packaging and promotion and making them appealing so that they're winners?
1: You know, I, I've got to relate it to maybe a specific scenario. Uh, you know, it, you want to have all the good stages of um, a basic business plan behind your idea, and if, even if it's something minor, you want to have that validation. You want to have, um, have thought the process through from start to finish so that all the questions your boss would ask um, if you pitched an idea to them, just the idea, and imagine the conversation that would follow, all the questions he's going to ask. How much is this going to cost me? What resources are you going to need? How long are you going to tie those resources up? When is this thing going to ship, or when is this thing going to be implemented? What's the net benefit to the company? How much are we going to make off this over the next few years? What's my ROI? All those questions, um, and you know, an executive leader at a company would ask after hearing the idea. You want to have that done. You want to have that in writing. You want to have it look polished. You want to have it in a little booklet or a PowerPoint or you know. Uh, a, a word document, something that looks well thought out, well rounded, and and most importantly data driven. Um, I, I think you know that's the best way to promote an idea. I'm not a big believer that uh, you know, it, and this does help, but socially promoting your idea inside an organization, yeah, that might help you a little bit if there's a bunch of decision makers um, spending face time with those decision makers. Um, one other big, big help, uh, actually, now th- th- this, this may go counter to what I just said, but is um, when I've pitched big initiatives or big ideas uh, inside a company, back when I used to have a job, um, before I was in a meeting setting with, let's say there's three big decision makers, three executives, I would meet with each one of them individually before that big meeting and even if it was 10 or 15 minutes to have a private briefing bounce it off them ask them what they think ask them what information they'd like to see because once you get in that group environment okay and one person goes negative on you that can feed the rest that's exactly what happened to me at shark tank yeah you had a couple of the sharks go negative and the rest just felt like jumping in um, that dynamic happens in boardrooms and it happens at, at work. So you want to have touched each one of those people. And, and this isn't an email. This isn't um, an impersonal. You want to go see them face-to-face. Uh, read, read their expression. Read their, you know, their personal feedback and try and catalog you know, their concerns and their objections so that when you're in that meeting, you can adjust your presentation. To, um, to address the issues that they saw.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent, thank you. Well, Mark, tell me: is there anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things? Well, I'm good for what's next. All right, can you share with us a favorite quote? Something you find inspiring?
1: My favorite quote. I'm going to misquote. <laughs> if that's okay. Okay. But you know, th- this guides my thinking as a as a business manager. You know, as I look at uh, particularly again on the entrepreneurship and, and bedjet. It's Sun Tzu who wrote The Ancient Art of War in like the 5th century BC. And this guy wrote, and he was a general in, in ancient China. And modern American military strategy still pulls from this guy's book. And he's got so many good quotes in there. But one of my favorite ones is you never attack an enemy of superior force and superior numbers head on in an open battlefield. He didn't use those exact words, but that was one of his major pieces of advice. And you can apply that you know, to many, many decision points in your life. Um, you know if, if you are going up against an opponent who is stronger, more powerful, uh, more forces, superior, whatever, you don't meet them on a level playing field. You, you don't uh, fight them or oppose them head-on. Uh, in a level playing field, you find a playing field where um, you have an advantage.,
0: mm-hmm. okay. I like it. I think he also said a cart of ore stolen from the enemy is worth six. Mind yourself.
1: Oh man, that book is so rich. <laughs> it's so it's such good reading. So many people still draw on this guy 's writings of you know twenty five centuries ago it 's still relevant.
0: all right. And now can you share with us a favorite book?
1: I think one of the most enlightening reads is a book called Influence uh, by Dr. Robert Caldini. Oh, yes. And he was a psychologist who studied the psychology of how the human brain is influenced. And really, this book became a handbook for every marketer out there. You know, it, it... outlines in, you know, very scientific terms, natural triggers that influence our decision making and our affinity to people and, you know, things that can make us go from a place of no to yes. And when you read this book and you see all of these different tactics that are, are brain tactics, right? They're, they're working on the circuitry of your brain, not your conscious level brain. When you see all of the tactics that are being used on you by all of the product selling companies of the world, all the big brands, the commercials, the TV, everything, it, it suddenly that knowledge helps you be a little bit immune, you know, to all of this this marketing stuff that's that's being said on you. And you begin to look at advertising in a completely different way after reading that book. I, I think, it, and it's 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 been around for quite a number of years. It's a valuable read, I think, to, to anybody who is in a job uh, where you have to influence people, deal with customers, deal with sales, um, or, or even, I mean, even coworkers? hmm uh, Yeah,
0: it's so good. It's so good. And I had to check. I think I misquoted Sun Tzu. It is a cart of the enemy's supplies is worth 20 of your own. 80 fact checkers. Well, that's the story. So yes. And oh man, influence is one of my favorites. I read his second book, *Persuasion*, on my honeymoon on the beach because that's what I do for fun <laughs> on vacation—is read these sorts of books. But he brings the goods, no doubt. And how about a favorite tool, something that you use frequently and you find helpful?
1: You know, I'm I'm still an engineer at heart. I still I still hit the calculator all the time. Uh, not 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 much of a tool, but I am constantly punching numbers. And I have found that that and maybe I'm old-fashioned. I still have an old school push button calculator, you know, next to my computer. So, you know, you can pop, you can, you know, you can use your phone, you can use your computer, right? There's a million different ways. I I still have a little adding machine next to me and I hit that thing all the time. Oh, cool.
0: And how about a favorite habit, a personal practice of yours that boosts your effectiveness?
1: Well, this goes back to what I do for a living, which is sleep. Uh, You know, sleep is so important. You know, the, the medical doctors these days, are preaching to everyone that sleep is as important to your health and well-being as exercise and nutrition. And we've all been taught to worry about exercise and worry about nutrition, and sleep is that third leg. You cannot have good days without good nights. And you know, the American public is chronically um, underserved with sleep. I think the the Center for Disease Control actually had a press release some years ago saying that that, that Lack of quality sleep is actually a national health epi- epidemic. Um, it leads to all sorts of things during your day. Um, you know, increased depression, uh, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Of all these health problems that are correlated with a lack of good sleep. So, you know, the business I'm in is a machine that helps sleep. That's what I created. And I have found in my own life, I use my bed yet, every day when I go to bed, every night when I go to bed. And it does help me sleep better. And, you know, focusing on things that help me sleep better, focusing on setting aside time for adequate sleep, it turbocharges your days, Pete. You know, And we all know it. We have all had that day where we go to work and you know we only slept six hours or five hours. And we are just slow all day. When you pay attention to that extra couple of hours or you know, not doing the things that keep you from going to bed, like spending time on your phone just before sleeping or you know, uh, having your computer open uh, just before trying to go to bed, having a noisy room, being too hot or too cold in bed, whatever it is, when you focus on those little things as a habit and correcting those little things in your life that impinge your sleep, man, you turbocharge your days.
0: I'm a believer. Yes. Thank you. And tell me, is there a particular nugget that you share with maybe it's your colleagues or when you're doing media appearances that seems to really resonate with folks, they nod their heads in agreement and say, yes, Mark, that was a brilliant nugget. Thank you.
1: You know, this goes back a little bit to validation and it goes back to my experience on Shark Tank, right? I had five very successful, wealthy people telling me, your product's going to fail, you're going to fail, you're stupid, this whole thing is stupid, and you're going to burn in hell. right? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, of course, that's the Mr. Wonderful part, right? So you know a, a, a big nugget that I took away from that, and then I share with people whenever I can, is when you're out looking for advice, right? It's logical to go to people who um, are more experienced or, or more successful or wealthier or whatever right? Business people that you hold in super high esteem. Let's just categorize them. What I've learned is that just because someone has become very successful financially, very successful with business, very successful with their career, doesn't mean they're right 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. In fact, those people, those billionaires, they only need to be right 60 or 70% of the time. And what people don't always realize in business is success in business isn't about being right all the time. It's impossible. You just need to be right more often than you're wrong and make sure when you're wrong, you minimize the downside. So when you have somebody like that telling you, no, your idea is terrible. This is terrible. This is just shut it down. Keep in mind, they're not right 100% of the time just because they've been successful you know, their, their success in their business doesn't mean their word is gospel. You've got to go get that validation and talk to other people, um, people who are closer to your project or, or product or initiative, and, and really talk to people who are your customers.
0: Mm, great, thank you. And Mark, if folks want to learn more or get in touch with you, where would you point them?
1: Bedjet.com. Uh, you can write an email uh, anytime over there. Uh, you can say, send this to Mark. It'll come straight to me. Awesome.
0: And Mark, do you have a final challenge or call to action you'd issue to folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs?
1: I would. You can't be awesome at your job during the day unless you're sleeping well at night. Look at your sleeping habits. Ask yourself, are you getting seven to eight hours at least every night? Are you doing small things that will uh, increase your quality of sleep? Are you eliminating things from your life uh, that are causing you not to sleep? spend a little time and energy on that and you will be amazed at the improvement in your general sense of well-being, your productivity, your energy, your health and your ability to succeed at your job.
0: Okay, Mark, thank you. This is awesome. I wish you lots of luck with Bedjet and what you're up to. I know I will continue enjoying mine at the nighttime and I hope that you keep on just rocking and rolling over there. It's awesome.
1: Thank you so much, Pete. I appreciate it.
0: I found Mark's perspective that the best ideas don't always win, and usually it's the best promoted ideas that win, to be pretty compelling stuff. Because I don't know, part of it is maybe idealism or naivete, but it just seems like that which is best ought to reign supreme. Optimality should win and meritocracy flourish, but it's often not quite the case. So I think that that's very helpful. If you find yourself being passive or in the passenger seat, thinking, well, of course, this just should be because it is the best, you know, watch yourself because it may very well not be. So if you feel weird about being too promotion-y or salesy, I'd recommend shaking it off, practice a little bit, get in the groove and allow that best idea to become the best promoted idea so then everybody wins. So again, if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've referenced here, you find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep198. And I hope you'll push subscribe if you haven't already. You'll hear from our next guest. It's Eric Fisher. He is the host of the Beyond the To-Do List podcast, has a whole lot of perspective on productivity and systems and all that good stuff. So I hope to catch you there.